worship team. I like that selection of songs today. Good selection. We, uh, we this morning we find ourselves on the third sermon in an 11 part sermon series from the book of Genesis titled Adventures with Abraham. Okay, we're on the third one today. And uh, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 13, Genesis chapter 13, that's where we're going to be uh, the rest of the morning. In our study of the life of Abraham, we started out in Genesis chapter 12 where the call of God came on Abraham's life. And Abraham... uh, was in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And God spoke to him there, told him to leave that place, to leave that country, to leave his family, his, uh, his extended family, and to go to a place that God was going to show him. Well, at that point, Abraham didn't know where that place was going to be, obviously, but he went out not knowing where he was going. And God directed him. And... Uh, He ended up getting to a place called Canaan, the promised land. And from Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, Abraham made a 1,500 mile trip to get to the promised land. Just think about that. 1,500 miles back in those days would have been an extremely long trip. He gets to Canaan, the promised land, and he experiences a, a famine when he gets there. Even though Abraham is obeying the will of God, He's in the center of God's will. There's a, a famine in the promised land. And then Abraham decides he'd better take another 200-mile trip and go from Canaan to Egypt because uh, Egypt had fertile land because of uh, the irrigation off of the Nile River. And it was just a fertile place. Even in the time of famine in Canaan, uh, Egypt was a, a place to go to avoid the famine. And so Abraham goes with with Sarah. They go to Egypt and Abraham tells a lie. He conspires with his wife, Sarah. He says, you know, when we get to Egypt, they're known for killing the husband and taking the wife. And then the wife becomes a part of the uh, Pharaoh, the Egyptians harem. So if we get into a situation like that, Sarah, we're going to tell Pharaoh that you're not my wife, you're my sister. And then he'll, he'll, he'll take you into his harem, but he won't kill me. Wow, what, what an interesting statement for a husband to put his wife in a position like that. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So the thing plays out pretty much like Abraham thought, and Pharaoh takes... Sarah, into his harem, takes her to be his wife. Even though Sarah was 65 years old, the Bible says she was beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. And so Pharaoh takes her into his harem. God sends some type of a disease upon Pharaoh and the rest of the uh, Pharaoh's servants. To where he kept them from violating Sarah sexually. And somehow during this whole process, Pharaoh figures out that Sarah is not Abraham's sister. Sarah is Abraham's wife. And at that point, 
He tells Abraham and Sarah, you need to leave Egypt. And he publicly humiliated them. And then they went back to Egypt. And when we get to Genesis chapter 13, this is Abraham's trip from Egypt back to the promised land. Okay, that's where we're at in this story. We get to verse 1 of Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. All right. Uh, Lot should have been left clear back in Ur of the Chaldeans uh, 1,500 miles ago. He should have been left there. Because as Lot continues to travel with Abraham, he continues to be a major problem to Abraham. And we're going to see it as we keep going through the book of Genesis. Did you ever wonder, that trip back from Egypt to the promised land, do you ever wonder, what kind of a trip would that have been for Abraham and Sarah? I wonder what that conversation sounded like. I wonder if there was any conversation at all. Or if Sarah just gave him the silent treatment all the way back home. I mean, what do you say to a husband who compromises your purity to save his own neck? What do you say to a husband who consented to give his wife to another man's harem? What do you say to that man as you're traveling back? would have been interesting to have heard that conversation. Verse 2 says, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And if you go back to chapter 12, verse 16, uh, part of the dowry that Pharaoh paid to Abraham to take Sarah to be his wife, thinking Abraham was the brother... He gave him a lot of possessions. Verse 16 says, He treated Abraham well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. And when we get to the 13th chapter, it's the first time in the Bible where it talks about someone being wealthy. And that person was Abraham. But Abraham's great wealth, part of which he got in Egypt and part of which he had before that trip, caused great trouble for Abraham. As we're going to see as we open up the rest of the verses in this story. Verse 3 says, From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abraham had embarrassed himself in Egypt. I mean, he was, his behavior was disgraceful. And it came to the point when he was humiliated by Pharaoh that he realized what his behavior looked like. What do you do in the Christian life when you realize, man, I have blown it big time. I have failed miserably. What do you do? Abraham went back to a special place. 
Abraham went back to a place that was located between Bethel and Ai in the promised land. He went back to that place where he had built an altar. He went back to that place. It was a special place. It was a place where he had experienced the closeness of God. Unlike the distance from God that he had experienced in Egypt. And he retraced his steps. And he went back to a God of new beginnings. Maybe you're here this morning and you've gotten pretty far away from God. Maybe there's a special place spiritually that you enjoy a close relationship with God. Maybe you need to go back to that place. To go back. To tell God that at beginning at that place, that, that tremendous spiritual experience, that mountaintop experience for you spiritually, I'm going back to a place for a new beginning. I'm going back for a new beginning. That's what Abraham did. It's amazing how terrible Abraham behaved in the latter part of Genesis chapter 12, but how noble Abraham behaves in Genesis chapter 13 after he went back to that place and he had a new beginning. You couldn't find two chapters in Scripture that are more more different than these two from how a person behaves. And he gets it right when he went back to that place. Well, I want to begin at verse 5 here. The first point this morning is the problem. We're going to look at the problem in verses 5 and 6. Okay? The problem. It says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. The land of Canaan would have satisfied and sustained Abraham and Lot. There was plenty of fertile land for and water and, and everything, but it wouldn't sustain them when they stayed together. Okay, the problem was they were staying together. They needed to spread out. Then they'd have been okay. They'd have been all right. There wasn't enough grazing area. There wasn't enough water for them to stay together with all their numerous cattle. That was the problem. Verse 7 says, and quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Why that's put in there at the end may be the fact that uh, the Perizzites and the Canaanites knew about what was going on between Abraham and Lot's herdsmen. Or it may just mean this place was just oversaturated with cattle. You can add theirs too, the Canaanites and Perizzites along with all the numerous cattle of Lot and Abraham, the, this particular region could not sustain, could not contain that many cattle. Verse 8, So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. 
Is there anything uglier than family fights? I mean, really. Is there anything uglier in this world than family fights? I'm not sure there is. Give Abraham credit. He knew that there was a problem because Lot's herdmen and Abraham's herdmen were quarreling. What's the next step? The next step is Lot's going to support his herdsmen. Abraham's going to support his herdsmen. They're going to get in this fight. It's going to become a family fight. It's going to be a family quarrel. And Abraham was wise enough to realize, as Barney Fife used to say, it's time to nip this in the bud right here. Nip it in the bud. Most problems in life do not solve themselves simply by ignoring them. You know, there are a lot of people, that's their whole approach to problem solving. We'll just ignore it and hope it goes away. How many realize that hardly ever happens? The problems grow. The quarrels get more bitter. And Abraham said, I'm not going to quarrel with you, Lot. And he called him his brother. He was actually his nephew, but he called him his brother. We're brothers. We're not going to quarrel among ourselves. This quarrel was caused by wealth. That was the problem here. So much wealth, so much cattle. How many families have been torn apart because of quarreling over wealth? How many families have been quarreling and been torn apart when there was a reading and the settlement of a will? Family members won't talk to each other if they think they got the short end of the stick when a will has been read. Is there anything uglier than family fights? We've had the problem. Now we've got the proposal. The proposal in verses 8 through 13. The proposal. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, if you remember, I said Abraham's behavior was disgraceful and embarrassing in Genesis chapter 12. It is very noble here. He's basically saying to Lot, we cannot stay together. We have to separate. We have to part company. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the first choice. You choose the land that you want, and I'll take whatever is left. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Abraham is the elder statesman of this group. Abraham now is the head of this family because Abraham's father, Terah, had died back in Haran. Abraham is the patriarch of this family. Abraham is the one to whom this land had been promised by God. 
And he says, you take the first choice of what you want. I'll take what's left. I wonder how many Christians in Abraham's position would have done that. I think a lot of Christians would have demanded their rights. Now you listen here, nephew. That land is mine. It's been promised to me by God. I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you where to separate and take your livestock. I'm the patriarch. Do you see it here? Do you see the generosity here? Unheard of. How could Abraham do something like that? He had all the cards in his hand. Lot had nothing. Because Abraham believed that no matter what happened to him, God was going to take care of him. He had learned his lesson in Egypt. Have you learned that lesson? No matter what comes my way, God's going to take care of me. When you come to that place in your life, you can say to your nephew, you take first pick. You take first pick. God's going to take care of me. I'm going to be all right. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. By the way, this is a verse I've quoted many times and, and read many times to you, but... Keep in mind, Abraham did not have this verse. Romans 12, 18. Do you understand how blessed we are to have the New Testament? Just, just think about not having the New Testament for a moment. Abraham didn't have this verse for a point of reference. Listen to this verse. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, that's a loaded verse. That's one of the reasons I like it. If it is possible. How many of you know that sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with everyone? Because of what's happening on their side that you have no control of. If it is possible... What does that tell you? Sometimes it's not possible. As far as it depends on you, what does that tell you? Sometimes it doesn't just depend on you. Sometimes it depends on somebody else. But if it's possible, and if it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so in that moment... Abraham made a choice. I don't think it would have been a real easy choice. But it was a choice. He decided right there and then, even though he didn't have Romans 12, 18, he decided in this situation, in this quarrel, I'm going to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. How many of you know that sometimes the devil can use us when we're in quarreling situations and arguments, the devil can use us like throwing gas on a fire to make the situation worse. Abraham, I'm going to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. You take the first choice. Take the first choice. The problem, the proposal. You say, yeah, but Pastor Dave, I don't know what this really applies to me that much. I don't have... 
numerous cattle, and I'm not fighting over a family member, over watering rights and, and uh, fertile land and grazing and pastures. I, I, oh, now wait a minute. Now wait a minute. How about, how about that parking space where two cars simultaneously, the whole parking lot is full and someone backs out. And you and another car, you get there at the exact same time. There's two cars, one parking spot. How many of you say, Lot, you take first choice. You, you take your car, come on. And you, you kind of usher them in. Come on, come on. Uh-huh. You see, this is about more than water and grazing rights. This is about who's going to be a peacemaker rather than being a troublemaker. I got a great illustration of this. You knew you were going to hear a fishing story today. How many of you knew you were going to hear one coming in today? I don't want to disappoint you. I had just read this. And I went out to fish. I just read Genesis 13, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm putting some thoughts together for this service today. And the first two days of fishing were outstanding. Some of the best fishing I ever had. And then they shut off the rest of the week, couldn't get anything. But when I was actually getting them, I cast two times in a row and caught some slab bluegills. If any of you are fishermen, you know what the word slab means. Two just huge bluegills. Well, the first one, I, I pulled it in, took it off, threw it in my fish sack. The second one caught it, took it off, was throwing it in my fish sack. Well, there was a lady fishing at the pier next to me. And she wasn't catching anything. The minute she saw me bring in that second slab bluegill, Guess where she cast her hook? In my fishing spot. Where I had just pulled out two big ones. Felt like I was on a roll. I was going to get just keep bringing them in. I think I was in a hole. And I'm sitting here thinking, Lord, surely Genesis 13 doesn't apply to fishing. And I, I looked at her, and I, I tried not to give her the look. And it's like, Lord, no. And I just kept hearing the Lord say, give her first choice. And then I, it sensed like the devil was telling me, pray that she won't catch anything. <laughs> you ever have that conversation going on? Give her the hole, but pray that she won't catch anything. Well, she didn't, and I was justified. <laughs> but it's all about this being generous, being peacemakers, when people try to take advantage of you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? The problem, the proposal... Verse 10 says, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. 
This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. John Phillips makes a very interesting point on this story. He says, Lot did not ask, is this a good place to raise children? He asked, is this a good place to raise cattle? It was simply a business decision on the part of Lot. And he looks off into the distance and he sees this valley, the plains of the Jordan. And he's thinking, wow, I could graze a lot of cattle there. The other choice he had was the hill country. What would you have chosen? Fertile Valley or the hills? Well, it didn't take him too long to make his mind up. And he tells Abraham, I'll take the Fertile Valley area around the Jordan. Abraham said, all right. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Basically, Abraham and Lot separated by about 40 miles. Lot went about 40 miles east of Abraham. That's where he went. He pitched his tent near Sodom. And then the Bible says this, verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Sodom was the sin city of the Old Testament. And in just a few weeks, I'm going to preach a message on what is your Sodom uh, on Sunday, July the 28th. I'm going to tell you some things about Sodom that are going to blow you away. As to why God destroyed Sodom, it wasn't just because of homosexuality. And the very same signs that we see in Sodom that God destroyed that city for are the same signs that I see prevalent in the United States of America today. And we're going to talk about that on Sunday, July the 28th. Lot chooses the city of the plains. Sodom. Now, at first you would think, wow, Lot got a good deal here. And Abraham got the short end of the stick. How long would Lot hold on to the land that he took? Just a few days. And then God rains down fire and brimstone one evening as people are panicking in the midst of fear and flame. And everything that Lot chose, everything that Lot's eyes saw that he desired, God burned it all up. He lost it all. Just like that. Meanwhile, back at Abraham... The last thing, we've looked at the problem, the proposal. Now we're going to look at the promise. The promise in verses 14 through 18. The promise. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him. By the way, I find that very interesting. That statement right there. As, Lot, as long as Abraham and Lot were together, we have nothing where God spoke to them. 
As soon as Lot, the backslider, compromising Christian, leaves, God speaks to Abraham. I think that's significant. I want you to know this morning, the Lord has nothing to say to a compromising believer. The Lord has nothing to say. You cannot have Sodom and the Lord. You have to make a choice between the two. You can't have them both. And there are too many compromising believers today, too many worldly Christians. And Vance Havner used to say, you shouldn't even use the term worldly Christian. You might as well speak about a heavenly devil if you're going to do that. Lot was not in a right relationship with God. He walks out of the picture and God says, now I'll talk to Abraham. I'm not talking to Lot. There might be people here this morning in a backslidden condition. And you wonder why you don't sense the closeness with God anymore. You wonder why it seemed like God would speak to you out of his word. And now his word has become dull and boring to you. Worship has become habitual. Oh, my friends, go back to Bethel, between Bethel and Ai, where that altar was built, and where Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Go back to that. Retrace your steps. God speaks to Abraham's. He speaks to Abraham's. Do you notice God never spoke to Abraham in Egypt? When Abraham was backsliding and he was scheming and all this stuff, God never spoke to him in Egypt, but he speaks to him now. And he gives him this promise, this promise. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes. What was the thing that got Lot in trouble? Verse 10, Lot looked up. He saw that with his eyes, but he saw it through worldly eyes. He didn't see it through eyes of faith like Abraham's going to see here. Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. How long? Oh, forever, forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Abraham let God choose his inheritance for him. That was a wise choice. A wise choice. God has made an eternal promise to the Jews that they will live in the promised land. The promised land belongs to Israel and no one else. 4,000 years ago, God gave them the title deed to that land. And no, one's, no one can ever take it away from them. That key word, I'm giving it to you forever. 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 Now, I've been pretty hard on Lot this morning. And I think rightfully so, to be honest with you. 
I could really nail Lot if I wanted to. However, there's a verse that only allows me to go so far with him. There's actually a couple verses. To where you go to a certain point and it's like, okay, I got to back off now. And it's not in the Old Testament that tells you exactly what Lot was. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And to be fair, in preaching this message, I have to bring this verse in on behalf of Lot. I have to bring it in this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. It says, And if he rescued Lot, now listen to this, a righteous man. How many of you have gotten a picture of Lot from uh, Genesis chapter 13 that he was a righteous man? No. Who... Lot was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man, once again referring to Lot, living among them in Sodom day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Three times in those two verses... Lot is referred to as a righteous man. Interesting, isn't it? Lot did not like what was going on in Sodom. But Lot did not reform Sodom. Sodom ruined Lot. He had no influence, no impact on the city of Sodom. He was just disgusted by their behavior. You know, there are a lot of Christians that way. They're disgusted by behavior, but they never do anything about it. They never make an impact or an influence against that type of behavior. We can be a lot like Lot. So let me ask you in closing this morning, just a few questions. What direction is your life headed? Are you heading toward the Lord or are you heading away from the Lord? It's a very key question. It's brought up in this chapter. What direction was Abraham heading? What direction was Lot heading? How do you handle interpersonal conflict, family fights? How do you handle those? Do you see yourself as a peacemaker or as a troublemaker? Do you just say, well, I just wash my hands of that. I'm not going to get involved. Where do you find your security? That's another thing this chapter deals with. The security that Lot thought he had. And he didn't have any security at all. The true security is what Abraham had. His lasted. Lot's was burnt up. What do your choices reveal about your integrity? What do your choices reveal about 
your integrity. Abraham resolved conflict and made moral choices that revealed his godly character. Lot, you take the first choice. You take the first choice. We're going to ask you to stand as the worship team comes now to close with our our final song. There's a lot in this story. A lot in this 13th chapter of Genesis. Genesis.